This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7, 365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. In this second interview with the British Army's former Head of Training and Development, Paul Kincaid, we find out how crisis situations can be overcome by adopting the commando mindset. Be the first to understand, the first to adapt and respond, and the first to overcome. Paul has industry-specific knowledge of training within house building and construction companies, and through his training consultancy, Selfless Leadership, he specializes in developing training programs for crisis response. In this fascinating interview, he lifts the veil on some of the key techniques for identifying emerging problems, finding long-term solutions, and mobilizing a valued, energized, and high-performing workforce. This podcast was recorded as part of a webinar series for the House Builder Business Resilience Hub and can be found at www.hc-group.co.uk. Hi all and welcome to this House Builder Business Resilience Hub webinar and Good to Great series podcast. Today we're tackling mindset in times of crisis. As mentioned before, over the last five odd weeks, I've personally spoken with over 50 plus senior leaders within the house building and residential development sector. And really, I've heard pretty much every opinion manageable from the, the overly optimistic individuals to the real doom and gloom merchants. And, you know, this is the end of days and house building's never going to return, et cetera, et cetera. I think everyone has a valid opinion, but equally, I know whose team, whose company I would like to be in. But it's really in these difficult times that, that leaders earn their money. You know, and it's also in these times that, that poor leaders often get caught out. Today, to help us, I'm joined by Paul Kincaid, who was a British Army's head of training, development capability. He was controlling a budget of £196 million and functional command of over 400 training development specialists around the world generally considered as one of the top specialists in leadership training in crisis and what could be a bigger crisis than, than, than in war and being shot at. He's since left the military and set up his own professional practice, which is called Selfless Leadership. A big welcome to the show, Paul. How are you doing? Thanks, Gerard. Yeah, I'm really well, actually. Thanks for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the time to be able to support as many people as possible through what is a really challenging time. Just to the people who are watching this at least, and maybe to the people who are listening to this on a, on a podcast afterwards, look, um, please do send your questions in. If we don't have time to answer the questions, then I will make sure that we get back to you within kind of 24 hours, 48 hours and come back to you separately. But uh, Paul, for now, over to you. I'm going to rattle through some slides as well for people who can see it, and, and I'll explain uh, the process as we go along. So. I'm going to talk about the commando mindset and what the benefits of adopting that specific mindset are to anybody in, in business in crisis or in business as usual and, and steady state. But why the commando mindset? You know, we've all been around people who enthuse us, who we want to get close to, 
those people who are calm and, and seem to take everything in their stride. And we've also been around those who seem to flap and panic a little bit or doom and gloom merchants that you mentioned earlier on. You know, they seem to suck the energy out of the room, perhaps a bit like a, you know, like a Harry Potter Dementor or something like that. What is it that attracts us to those first group? And, and we sort of step away from the second group. And it is mindset. It's those those traits, the behaviours, the attitude of those people. And those are the leaders that we tend to, to get closer to. You know, they've got this sort of magnetic attraction for us. And so to be much more of the former and, and less of the latter, which in crisis, the, the latter is not a helpful mindset to have. It is all underpinned by mindset. And there are many different mindsets out there. And we're going to look at one which I've used over the last 20 years of my military career, and it's the commando mindset. So mindset needs working on constantly. It's a developmental thing. This is not a, you know, you've now got the commando mindset, wake up, you're back in the room. This takes a bit of time and a, and a bit of adapting, if you like. So this is the commando mindset. Be the first to understand, the first mm -hmm. to adapt and respond and the first to overcome. And, and, you know, just look at that for a second. And who wouldn't want that in their business space, be it in crisis or in steady state? That speaks of winners. You know, the, the commando brigade in the British military are quite often the first to go into places. They're in dangerous situations. They're in challenging environments. They can't have a doom and gloom, this is the end of the world, or they wouldn't come home. So they have to have this positive, can-do, leaning in, we are going to get this done. And the way they do that and the way commandos do that is through this, this process of being the first to understand. I've used it all over the world on operations from the desert to the, to the Arctic Circle. And since leaving the military, I've used it with clients to, to great success. And they've, they're still growing. My clients are still growing and they're, they're leaning into things, but they are being much more positive and they're seeing the opportunities where other people see the cloud, they're finding the silver lining and they're finding it really quickly. Why wouldn't we want to adopt that? So I think, you know, without further ado, I think the best thing to do perhaps is, is to get into the detail and find out what each bit is. So we're going to look at each element, each of these three elements, one at a time, if that's okay. So the first one there, for those who can see the slide, be the first to understand. What, what does that mean? Understand what? and how do you employ this first to understand? How, how do you do it? Well, first thing is, you know, you've got to be naturally curious and, and the military have written doctrine, policy about how to do it. Of course they have. That's what the military do. But this isn't just a military thing. You know, people will be familiar with other, you know, contemporary concepts out there. Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. His fifth habit is seek first to understand, then be understood. So this is a well-known thing. It's just, you know, succinctly put within, within the commando mindset. So you've got to be curious. You've got to be constantly looking over the horizon to see what's going around you, what's coming, what's happening. There's nothing worse than constantly firefighting or constantly dealing with a crocodile closest to the canoe. You know, as you canoe around the corner into the creek, you scan the horizon, you can see the crocodiles on the, on the shore, on the surface, and therefore, they're not going to surprise you when they, when they rock up next to the canoe. You can come up with coping strategies. So it's all about that being curious, learning from your internal team. You know, the senior leadership aren't the, aren't the only ones with good ideas. Ask people what they're seeing. Ask yourself some key questions when you start to understand various things. So let's, let's look at, you know, what is it we're trying to understand here? Well, in business, we're looking at what our competitors are doing. 
We're looking at what our supply chains are doing, what our stakeholders, shareholders even, what are those people we collaborate with if we're in a joint venture perhaps, what are our partners doing? And importantly, what are our competitors doing? And Mm -hmm. once we've started to see what's going on around us, then we can start to then say, well, why are they doing that? And once we work out why people are doing things, we can then say, well, so what? What does that mean to me? And once we've got that clarity starting to, you know, like a cloudy puddle, starting to clarify the water, then we can start looking at the various areas that that we can control. So we only control the controllables, right? Just on that note, let's say we've been house building. There's this been this, this massive rush to get back on site. You know, they've seen, I don't know, Red Row go back on site. So Taylor Wimpy goes out back on site and then Barrett go back on site and Countryside go back on, out on site. And there was one company, it was Bewley Homes in Showcase magazine recently. And this is a really good example of seeing what your competition are doing and not jumping straight in just to be the first of the pack. But Bewley Homes have taken the decision to let all the other house builders go back in and see what goes right with their processes and what goes wrong with their processes. And I, I just think that's a really good example about what you take rather than seeing my competition's dived into the water. I should dive into the water as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, I mean, the commando mindset is laid out in that way. You don't act straight away. You're not the first to act initially, the first to understand. So it might well be that you do need to step back and just look at what's going on and learn lessons from what other people are doing. You know, fools rush in and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes you do want to just take a little bit of time, see what's going on. And as soon as you start to embed this way of thinking, this mindset of being the first to understand, of course, you're constantly being the first to understand. So things don't creep up and surprise you. You have time in front of you, you have an extended time frame to see issues as they're starting to emerge and start to analyze them. As, as they become clearer and closer, your understanding of them grows as well. So, yes, eventually you will be the first to act. But initially, you need to be the first to understand. And there will be elements that you can control and there will be elements that you can't control. So don't waste time on the uncontrollables. You know, we can't control what COVID-19 at the moment is doing. We can't control the government guidelines. So let's not get, you know, wrapped around the issue of getting upset about what the Prime Minister says, you know, on, on a Sunday evening or what the virus is doing, what the death rate is doing, what the R rate is, whatever that is. We need to just control the controllables and understanding is part of that to look at what can we do about this? And if the answer is we can actively do something, well, then let's start to plan that. And that's the next phase. If the answer is we can't really do anything about it, then again, and we'll talk about it in a minute, it might be an area that we need to contingency plan for, that if certain conditions happen, we might want to pull that particular red file off the shelf and enact a contingency plan that calls on other agencies, perhaps. But that whole, you know, this whole understanding piece is so important. But I would also say, you know, rather than just constantly looking out, we also need to look in. We need to understand our people because there's some great strength in depth. It's not just the senior leadership team and the senior leaders in organisations who have got a mind uh, and an imagination and a power to analyse. Sometimes ideas come from absolutely everywhere in the organisation. We need to be open to that and allow people to voice their ideas without getting shot down. Because, you know, no one's got a monopoly on good ideas. 
that's the thing. So we're looking over the horizon. We're taking the opportunity to take time to look at what's going on and then ask ourselves, as we get more clarity, why is that happening and so what? So why and so what are the two critical questions? Why is it happening and then so what? What does this mean to us as an organisation? And then once you understand that, then you can move on to the second step, which we'll move on to now. And it's the first to adapt and respond. There are two discrete elements to this. So the first to adapt means you might have to slightly change the footprint of of people who are out on site. You might need to put in a slightly higher power grouping. You might need to put in a more senior site manager if there's a particularly complex issue that's arising. Or you might need to put someone in there, perhaps a mentor in, to help help these people out once they're in difficult situations. Once you've understood the issues that are emerging, you've got the luxury of time. You've got capacity to plan, adapt, and respond because you've seen these crocodiles that are miles off as you come around the corner, whilst everyone else is dealing with a crocodile that's really net close to the news it surfaces. So you've identified the controllables, you can make plans, and those plans need to be you know, flexible, fully resourced, innovative. There's also processes that underpin the planning process itself and, and you know, it's a process called red teaming, which is probably a subject for a totally different webinar. Right. It's huge, but it is, you know, this is our, our plan. And then we really pull that plan apart again and make sure that it's by, by doing things like uh, looking at where it might trip over, where it might fall down and fail before we implement it, then we can plan around those potential roadblocks, those hurdles and overcome them. So people who are, uh, you know, First, to adapt and respond, they're end state focused, generally quite positive, solution focused. And, and again, who wouldn't want that in business? Again, you as the leader in the center of a hub, and then other people around you, doesn't matter where they are, they can be more senior, they can be your peers, they can be your supply chain, your collaborative partners, joint venture partners, they can be people within the group, within the team. You harness all the ideas. And then you start to plan. And that's you know collaborative by nature. That's how you've got to be as a leader at the moment, especially as we come out the end of this current challenge of COVID-19. Organizations mm. generally are probably going to be slightly smaller, more agile, more flexible. But if you're smaller, you've got slightly less capacity. So therefore, the requirement to collaborate is going to be greater because you're going to want to partner up with a, an organization that's got a slightly different skill set that you perhaps no longer have. So, you know, we have to get better at working together now rather than just relying on resources internally. And one way of adapting and responding really quickly and getting the plan out there really quickly is to communicate it well. So we have all these ideas coming in. We then spend time planning them, really digging into the detail through almost devil's advocacy analysis of our own plan that contrarian thinking, challenging everything. Again, going back to those base questions of why are we doing this? So what? And if we can't answer those, drop it. You know, if we can't answer those questions of our own plan, get get rid. And then we come up with this really concise, detailed plan that's more likely to succeed because we understand the issues, because we've seen them out on the horizon. We've got time to think about them. We're not rushing in like that company that you spoke about earlier on. We're just taking time to have a look at what's going on around us. We're building a really, really strong, well-resourced, innovative plan that might be as flexible as we need it to be 
And then once we've got all those things in place, then we can respond. Uh, and when we respond, we do so as one uh, and we can move forward really very quickly. Everyone knows their part in the plan because we've communicated it out transparently. It's really well. It's an aspirational message that people really want to achieve this thing. It's inspirational to get people out of bed. And it's transparent so that everybody knows what part they have within the plan. And therefore, they understand when they're going to be on site, for example, and how long it's going to take. And then you can actually really start to enforce these things and throw it out there. In terms of the communication from the top down, each layer of that management team or, or that company, I'm assuming they don't get the full message and that only certain parts of the message are relevant to them or exactly you know coming this is a military model and coming from the military they have a, an orders process obviously in the military uh, and each each minor unit each subunit does an extraction of orders process and they pull out what is relevant to them exactly as you say and that's no different in business you know you've got an, an organizational plan a business plan that needs to be implemented and each discrete element of the business each department each skill set each capability has to extract which areas are relevant for them, contextualize the overarching plan into their own business space, resource it, uh, and then communicate it to their own elements. And where we need to communicate outwards as well to our peers, where we might need support from a different department, then we need to consider that communication plan as well. Who's going to be to your left? Who's going to be to your right? Uh, and how are we going to interact? And what's really, really important, and so many people overlook when we're communicating out how we're going to act, collaborate, and work together up front, is how are we going to disagree? Because we need to disagree in order that the plan is really well thought out and analysed. But let's put agreements and processes in place of how we're going to effectively disagree, how are we going to challenge one another with a growth mindset, you know, underpinning that, rather than just get into an argument and conflict, which is not helpful at all. Um, right. We need to know that we're challenging from a position of care in order that the end product is better. So we need to understand and agree up front how to disagree, which sounds a bit weird, but we need to do that, especially if we're collaborating in what I assume are going to be smaller, more flexible, agile organisations as we move forward. Let's look on to the last bit. There are huge benefits. Having implemented the first two stages you can enact a really well thought out, resource, innovative plan, and then you can be the first to overcome because you've got strength in depth. You know, because you've analysed it, your plan is going to work. You practice the commando mindset. And over time, when this, when this mindset becomes more and more embedded throughout every level, every department in the organisation, you start to see huge benefits. If everyone is starting to think in the same way, everyone is offering up a piece to the understanding, then you've got huge luxury of time to be able to plan these things as people are observing the market, observing competitors, stakeholders, all the things that's going on around them and the internal team. So look, what are those benefits? We get enhanced organisational resilience because you're seeing things so far out. You as a group are stronger. If you know that you can put your hand up and you're not going to have it chopped off, and you can speak out, you can present an idea to the, the leadership of, of whatever organisation you're working within, whatever department, 
then that can only be a good thing. That organization can only get stronger and deal with challenge, deal with COVID-21, COVID-22, whatever the challenges are in, in future, we can deal with them. Those teams start to gel much better and they perform much better. So therefore, time on site, because it's a much higher performing team, starts to reduce. And, and you're more confident that you can get through contracts in a timely manner with the right resources and you've got talented leaders. If all leaders are starting to implement this mindset, this process, the commando mindset, then they're gonna to start to build high performing teams. High performing teams are led by talented leaders. This is kind of indoctrinated in, in the company. If I adopt it to begin with, then their managers who are stepping up to become the directors, you, you've got that succession planning. So everybody's thinking, you know, with, with the right tool set. Exactly. I mean, indoctrinated culturally is sometimes a bit of a, a word that raises a few eyebrows, but in its purest sense, you're absolutely right. And then you see the talented leaders growing within the organisation. You don't have to recruit externally. You promote people internally. <laughs> it's you, not such a good thing, but I understand. Uh, it's about making job. companies better. <laughs> you see the talent growing internally within the organisation. Therefore, you're not you're not promoting, you know, someone who happens to be technically competent and therefore they can, you know, the best accountant in an accountancy team doesn't necessarily lead the accountants. The best programmer in an IT company doesn't necessarily become the best leader of the IT, of the, the programming department. We need to assess people's leadership capabilities. And we could perhaps talk in a minute about how we do that when we are recruiting externally how do you assess people for their leadership capability when you don't know them you've only got their cv and they're in front of you for the first time we could, we could perhaps you talk about that in a sec if, if you want but once you've got teams that are performing better you've got people who are communicating openly there's no competition the competition internally drops significantly so that internal politics you know that he said she said type Thing that sometimes happens in organizations starts to reduce and people start to work better and more calmly together therefore staff turnover reduces as well again apart from for you gerard perhaps a win-win you know but you don't you're not needing to replace people quite as quite as quickly so you've got this stronger organization that's performing better at every level the organizational start, culture starts to cohere uh, and becomes one and that can only result in success. And I'm not going to define what success is. That's, that's up to the people watching and listening to define what their success is. But this model is generic enough to be able to create success within your context, whatever mm. success is. Let's go back to where this came from, the commando mindset. The commando brigade go anywhere at a remarkably short notice. They don't really know the conditions they're going to be in. They don't necessarily have all the detail. But they go. They can't afford to go with a doom and gloom, you know, well, I wonder if we're going to get through this. They have to go with a, we're going to bring as many people back as possible. We're going to succeed. We're going to be the first to adapt and respond. And we're going to be the first to overcome. You can't consider anything else when risk to life is, is as high as it is in the commando brigade. And there's a direct synergy with working at height, working in the construction industry. There is a risk to life there. You can't help but consider success. Anything else simply is not an option. You can't get halfway through a contract and go, do you know what? Yeah, we're not going to do this anymore because it's all become slightly too difficult. You need to deliver the contract successfully on time 
on budget, ideally, and to the best quality. Mm. So what we see with, with teams that adopt this mentality, this mindset, both in the military and in business, is that the team starts to deal with change a whole lot better. They still go through the same ups and downs as any other team would, but it's much more condensed. They go through that ups and downs. They're not as up or as down. The peaks and troughs are not as high, so, or rather the troughs are not as low, I should say. You don't get people getting all down and morose because they know that they're the first to understand, the first to adapt and respond, and the first to overcome, therefore the first to succeed. So these really well-led organisations, but people with this mindset that's pervasive throughout the organisation, get through change a whole lot quicker with a whole lot more certainty. And therefore, they're already three or four rungs up the ladder when all the other organisations around them are only just putting the ladder up against the wall. So rather than a prolonged reaction time, it's reduced. You know, I'm not saying the reaction to change goes away. It doesn't. You, know, you still get the, this is great, and then, the, oh, we've done the right thing. But that happens really quickly. And then you can crack on and, and enact the plan. The obvious question is, hang on a minute, right back to what Paul was saying at the beginning, we've got these people who are naturally positive, naturally leaning. Some people aren't, don't have that mindset. Some people aren't built that way necessarily. And some people, uh, and there are benefits to this way of thinking, look for the problems. You know, they're, they're not motivated by success. They're motivated by avoiding pain. That's not a bad thing. But if you do want to sort of start to adjust that mindset of, I generally am a bit negative. I generally do look for the worst case scenario. And again, mm. there's nothing wrong with planning for worst case. In fact, I would encourage people to consider the worst case in order to enhance their plan. Again, mm. that's a different webinar altogether. Changing mindsets is, is possible. It, people do it all the time. It takes a bit of work. It takes a bit of effort. And one of the best ways to do it is through, through mentoring. The most successful leaders around the world in business, all walks of business, politics and the military, have mentors. You know, you, you speak to any of them, you see their interviews, they've all got mentors. Uh, so what's the benefit of a mentor? Well, a mentor allows you to take a little bit of time out of the business, a little bit of time away, so you're not constantly under pressure dealing with those issues that, that arise anyway. And adopting the commando mindset doesn't eradicate those issues, that some of them will still arise but it gives you more time because you've dealt with the bigger ones further out. It gives you time to, to step away from the business, be challenged in an appropriate way by someone who is experienced in leadership or experienced in construction or whatever type of mentor you, you might need. But the change is possible. They're like an accountability partner. You say you're going to do something, your mentor will hold you to account and say, well, you, know, you said you were going to do this. When are you going to do it? Have you done it? They're like the Yoda to your Skywalker, if you like, if I can use that analogy, if I'm not too out of date. It's a safe place to challenge your own thoughts. It's, it's like a rehearsal. You don't necessarily need to have the default future that is already there waiting for you, if that's, you know, it's a bit mm -hmm. spiritual mind, if you like. But by stopping taking a time out and really thinking about what you might need to implement, when you might need to implement it, you can change that mindset. And you can start to develop it within yourself before you then start to cascade it throughout your team, your organization. So it really is possible to change your mindset. I've, I've seen it with people. I've, I've helped people do it. I've done it myself. And it really is powerful. And once that click happens, 
you won't go back to that same slightly doom and gloom, slightly negative mindset. You'll carry it with you because it's a useful tool to have, but you won't necessarily go there as your default. You'll start to look over the horizon, look for opportunities, seek out the silver lining where others are still still caught up in the cloud. Look, this isn't me, but I'm, I know lots and lots of people in the industry who COVID-19's hit or, you know, 2007, 2008 hit, whatever catastrophe comes next. And, you know, they've, they've let a bad situation really get to them. So, so you know, they're, they're flustered with their team members. Their team members are look at, looking at them thinking, oh, my God, I need to be led at the moment. And, and this guy's completely, you know, guy or girl has gone the other way. How do those people who put their hands up and go, yeah, that totally was me, or that might be at the moment, what steps could they put into place like today to start moving them away from how they reacted? What would they do first of all? Well, I mean, if they're already thinking that, then they've already made the self the, the self-awareness is already there. They've made the first step. So what I would say, you know, the first thing to do is be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Everyone makes mistakes. There's no point dwelling on it and going, oh, I'm so rubbish. It's right. I've made a mistake. What am I going to do about it? And one of the first things to do is to be vulnerable and be transparent. Vulnerability and transparency within leadership builds trust like you wouldn't believe. And as humans, when we're vulnerable to one another, truly beautiful things happen. And people start to lean in and support. People start to become vulnerable back. And as a leader, it sort of vicariously gives other people permission to say, do you know what, I'm struggling with this as well. So there's that well-being element, which I'm not going to go into any particular detail with because I know you've got other people who speak about that. But in terms of what does the leader do, the very first thing is admit it. People respect other people who admit they've made a mistake, apologise if an apology is necessary, and then say, right, listen, if I'm in such a bad place, I don't really know what necessarily I need to do. What do you think? You know, I said a couple of times throughout the webinar so far, good ideas come from anywhere in the organization. And it's an incredibly courageous thing to do to say, look, I've perhaps not done the right thing this far. I know I've made a mistake. What do you all think we should do? We should do now as an organization to move forward. You'll get a whole host of ideas that come in. And then as the leader, you analyze those ideas work out which are the best, perhaps go back to other people. Thanks very much for your idea. Can you just build on this? Can you build on that? What did you mean when you said X, Y, and Z? And then start to build a plan because there's nothing worse, is there, than starting on a blank sheet. And if all you can see in front of you is a blank sheet and, uh, and you, is properly doing your editing, get other people to start populating the sheet. It's like a virtual brainstorm, if you like. That, that would be my really first recommendation. Reach out for help. And you'll be amazed what happens. People will help. They're part of your organization. They don't want the organization to fail. They want to succeed and, and be the first to get back out there, much like the commando brigade. And then, you know, what, what if we're a, an owner, a chairman of a company or a managing director or a chief exec, whatever it might be, and we've got people in place who just aren't, they're not leading. First of all, is there a way that we can measure their ability to lead and monitor it? Well, no, I think that there's two questions in one there. I think that to measure leadership is quite challenging. There are qualitative ways we can do that through sort of 360-degree reporting, things like that. 
whereby we get opinions from everyone who that person inter or not everyone, a cross section of the people that, that interact with that individual to see mm. whether your perception of, of their leadership style is matched by everyone who interacts with them. That's a really strong way of doing it. If you determine that, that they're not leading very well, then you need to do probably one of two things. If you've got time and the inclination, the first thing, and my preference would always be try and develop that individual through perhaps mentoring, perhaps coaching, sending them on a formal leadership development course or workshop, because there's very few people who are formally trained, you know, and developed in, in leadership skills. Maybe they just haven't been invested in. Maybe they've been promoted because they were technically very good, but they didn't actually have any leadership skills. And that's incumbent on us as an organization to help them and provide them with those skills. But if you don't have the time and the luxury to do that, then you've got some difficult decisions to make. If the person isn't leading in the manner in which you want them to, and you've given them enough opportunities to demonstrate leadership capability, and you've invested in them, well, then there might be a difficult decision to make of either, you know, allow them to find where their skills better sit elsewhere, or if they might sit elsewhere within the organization. If they've recently promoted into a leadership appointment, mm. they might really welcome the opportunity. If they realize they're floundering a bit, they might welcome the opportunity of stepping back down if, if their pride and ego will allow that to happen and if your organizational structure will allow it. But that's, that's wow. really difficult to, to really get to grips with. So my default would always be invest in the person, try and help them out. Have a conversation. It's difficult, but, you know, sit down and say, listen, Paul, I've observed this. It looks like you're not really doing very well as a leader. What do you need in order to, to improve? And try and meet in the middle would be my default. Is there anything else you'd like to, to add, Paul? Or? Actually, yeah. We're in a difficult time. We're in, we're in a crisis that, that, you know, within living memory, most living memory, especially working memory, we've not really had to deal with. People will struggle. Uh, you know, we, we've got lots of different challenges going on, and this comes back to the very first element of understand, be the first to understand. Understand the people. Someone could be struggling on site or, or in the office because they've got a family member who's ill with COVID-19 in the current situation. Their family are isolating. They've not seen their loved ones in a while. There could be all sorts of things going on underneath the surface of the water that you're unaware of. So the closer we can get to our people and if we can lead from a position of genuine care and better understand our, our troops, our workforce, then they'll offer up what's going on. And then you'll find those leaders maybe do lead really well, but their capacity is taken up by worrying about a poorly relative or, or something that's going on outside of the workplace. And then it might just be a couple of days off is all they need, and then they'll come back reinvigorated as a leader. Um, I think the other thing I would say is you know, people have been off work for a long time. There will be potential skill fade. There will be certainly fitness fade. And therefore, we need to be slightly kinder with people when they come back to work. You know, construction is a physical profession in a lot of areas. And individual workers might not be able to do the same amount of work in a day that they did before. Let's not beat them up for that. Let's be kind and tell them that we expect jobs, perhaps, for the next couple of months to take a little bit longer until they've got their fitness and conditioning back up. It's all about leadership from a position of care for me. That's yeah. where I come from. Fantastic. Look, that was brilliant. Look, I know that we couldn't do everything maybe before justice, such as going into red teaming, etc. But I, I really think in times of crisis, 
people's companies, their team members, and their clients really do need to, to be led. And, and it's at this time that, you know, us as leaders, you know, have the choice to adopt the right mindset or not. Yeah, and it really is your choice and my choice to do that. If you have any other questions, if anybody on the call or on the podcast have any other questions, um, you can contact Paul via emailing myself direct, which is Gerard, G-E-R-A-R-D, at the hc-group.co.uk, and I'll pass your details or questions on directly to Paul. And plus, uh, anybody who's registered live on the webinar, I'll make sure that you get Paul's details direct. Also, we will be attempting to contact you all individually just to get your input, as your feedback is really essential for us to keep developing the House Builder Business Resilience Hub. Thank you very much for your time. Have a good day and stay safe. Thank you. Discover how to build your UK House Builder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms automation and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK house building industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.